Hello and welcome to the Topical City Podcast. I'm James, I'm your host this week. And I'm joined as ever by a pairing that could rival the likes of Stones and Diaz. Welcome to the pod this week. Silcam Distan and Richard Dundale. How you doing, boys? <laughs> I, I feel a bit right, bad that uh, we, I, we keep saying horrible things at the start of the podcast and you've said something quite nice, but then you followed it up with that pun and I'm a bit... I'm trying to lead by example. I think the um, the bromance is equally as real, I think, between us as it is the uh, the maybe the Diaz and Stones comparison rather than the Dunn and Distan one. I always <laughs> got the feeling like they never really got on besides from on the pitch. More Howie and Dunn than Distan and Dunn. How on the lash. Anyway, we've had a good week for City. We say it every week, don't we? But we might as well... Uh... Keep shouting about it. We're on 20 consecutive wins. We've extended the English football record. We're unbeaten in 27. We've only conceded eight goals in this time. That train just keeps on rolling, doesn't it? It looked a bit shaky yesterday, didn't it? Looked <laughs> <laughs> well, like maybe it wouldn't, but, you know, we, we carry on. We keep going. Yeah, I constantly look back and think about where we were just like a couple of months ago. And if you'd have been reeling off all of these statistics and the record-breaking stuff again, like, I definitely wouldn't have believed you, but here we are nonetheless. And I think the fact that all of these uh, journals are seeing their arse now and starting uh, going into the draft folder from two or three years ago and pulling out some proper trash that they wrote about City to uh, <laughs> to try and bring that back to take us down a peg says it all. That's true. I don't think that's going anywhere for a while. On a positive note, uh, we need to shout out for Antares, who celebrates his fifth birthday this week. It's not doing bad for having five birthdays, is it? It was good watching the match and Steve McManaman pulled a full on Danny Murphy and like yeah, did, started talking about his family. <laughs> his uncle I feel like I know more, so much more about these cold commentators now. He was more excited talking about when he should celebrate his birthday than the actual game yesterday. But man, like, when do you celebrate? And he was like, definitely, definitely the 28th. I understand why you mute it now. We've started on a high there and we're going to bring it straight down with our weekly injustices. Injustices? Is that the word? Injustices? Injustice, I think. Injustice, <laughs> like, like cacti. <laughs> um, we're going to have a bonus one this week because I've been rattled by something on Twitter. Uh, but as this is your section, Richard, why don't you lead the way of your weekly injustice? Uh, it's difficult it being referees every single week, but I'm I'm sorry, but when if you're a referee and you've proved Graham Sooness right with his massive rant that he went on, you need you deserve all the criticism that's leveled at you. So soon as soon as went on that big rant on um, on Sky Sports, didn't he, about how the state of refereeing is just a complete abomination at the minute. Mm-hmm. And then a week and a half later, however long it's been, Lee Mason comes out and does what he does on that pitch. So if if anybody doesn't know, basically what happened is there's a free kick for Brighton. Lewis Dunk asks the referee if he can take it quickly, and the referee says yes. Dunk starts running up to the ball and Mason blows his whistle. Now that was still, despite asking the referee, that was still too quickly for Mr. Mason, who then quickly blows the whistle again while the ball is in midair, but not yet crossed the goal line and says, no, too quick. We're moving it back. But of course, then Brighton have scored. And Lee Mason, not knowing what the fuck he's doing, decides to outsource responsibility to VAR to decide 
if the ball indeed did cross the line before he blew the whistle again. So you've just got this complete Three Stooges sketch of a football game where they're all gathered around. And it, it felt like on the replay, the referee allowed everybody to go over to the <laughs> to the monitor to watch it with him. Like, get the popcorn out, lads. Like, we're having a... <laughs> the cinemas are open again. We're all watching this one. <laughs> and, yeah, it was just fucking bizarre. And, and so you've got a situation afterwards where Lewis Dunk can give his opinion on Sky Sports. VAR can give the reason why they didn't give the goal. But Lee Mason can just hide behind everybody and not explain his decision, not do a mea culpa and take responsibility for it. And I haven't... Have you guys heard anything of the PGMOL come out and said anything? Like in the last... In the day... I saw... In the last day following it? Dermot Gallagher said something. I can't remember. I think it was an explanation for it rather than a a mea culpa or any sort of disciplinary action against Mason. But uh, it, well, when it happened, I was reading all the tweets and it said it's not the first time this season he's just been woeful. So you've got you got to imagine, like, he can't be refereeing, refereeing Prem games for that much longer. Because that seemed to me like it's it, it was a total damned if he did, damned if he didn't situation. Because if he'd have gone the other way, West Brom would have been like, what are you doing? The keeper was still setting up the wall. We were still... Regardless of which way he went, Lee Mason was particularly incompetent. But at the same yeah. time, there, there was no way out of that for him. It was, it was due to his own stupidity that it went ahead the way it did. Uh, and, and either way, one team would have had a proper grievance with it, and I think a right grievance with it. But like I say, he can't be refereeing Prem games if he's doing that, especially if he's doing it more than once. James, you said you've got your own weekly injustice. Yeah. Theory. Is this actually... Is this a weekly injustice or is this an injustice that potentially goes back like years now? Um, I don't often get rattled by things. You know, you see you see a lot of things on Twitter that can sometimes make your blood boil, whatever. I just kind of brush it off, think it's you know, it's jealousy, whatever. And then I, I saw something this weekend that really just kind of hit a nerve. Uh, and I don't want to give the newspaper any advertising by actually naming them. But it's a short preview written by a supposed journalist called Matt Butler. Uh, And I'm going to read this quote to you. It's just a little match preview for the West Ham game. And he says, and I quote, It's weird that Pep Guardiola proudly wears jumpers with the name of a refugee charity, Open Arms, whilst presiding over a football club whose success is aided by financial doping from a decidedly icky regime. Anyway, City go for 20 wins in a row here. And for me, I read it and I, I genuinely thought it was photoshopped and like it was City fans having a laugh and like they kind of popped it in over the top of his actual preview. I think the fact it's disgusting that he diminish a charitable act from Pep to to advertise this refugee charity. Someone someone he's actually put money into as well to get those boats back out on the water, as far as I understand it. Then he, he adds to it a factually incorrect dig about how we're funded. And then he uses it as a ploy to have a go at Pep, who, let's face it, every fan would agree that we're lucky to have him grace the Premier League. And this is a man that's caring about things outside more than just football. I think it's pathetic pandering to United Liverpool fans that they just want clicks. And I think this man is seriously a poor excuse for a writer. Did you guys see it? He used the word icky. Yeah. 
icky like you know when you step in some a puddle of slime or something or yeah. like rather than so he, he's equating supposed terrible deeds to being icky that, that's poor journalism to start with not even mm-hmm. taking it the actual concept. decidedly icky yeah i mean decidedly come on guys just just google the word synonym for well i did a bit of digging into the like he he retweeted it and said oh like city fans are a bit touchy um and I, I yeah i saw that i can't remember the guy's name but a particular city fan had to go back and basically said the newspaper that owns your newspaper is funded by saudis so can you really have a go? And then he basically said, oh, yeah, that was before I joined. It was owned by such and such, like a Russian guy, a Russian guy that's part of the buddy KVG or something like that. And it's, it's like, come on, like, you, <laughs> what are you playing at but here, even, man? Even if, like, that was before I joined, well, we had the shape before Pep joined. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, where, where's your argument there? You still chose to work for him. So if you I know you um... to that standard, then why, why are you exempt? I know you don't want to name the newspaper, but I, I think the, the big issue with this is because I think they're surrounded by so many left-leaning political journals, like on a regular basis, that they do feel like they have to try their hand at this like ge- conversation in geopolitics. And they've always struggled to you know, separate in their minds Sheikh Mansour and his investment in Manchester City Club and his um you know immediate ties to the to the royal family in in the abu dhabi emirate and i think we're always going to until the club makes a statement on that or addresses it in some way i don't know too much about it but that's it sounds a bit libelous to be fair but what was the line in their financial doping like that's absolutely something that should be that should be looked at by city considering you know like the cast verdicts and everything Need to be more vicious with libelous claims, don't we? Like, mm-hmm. like you say, it's never going to stop until you go for them. Hundred percent, because they they live under this umbrella of being white knights that are fighting for the injustices of the Abu Dhabi royal family, and it's just like, and, and that's just it. Is yeah, <laughs> when when it all comes down to it, the the real reason why their attention is drawn to it is because of the twenty consecutive games won. Mm-hmm. Like how he finishes it up as almost as if dismissing it. That's the reason why he's so rattled in the first place. That's what they don't like. They don't care about the Abu Dhabi royal family and sports washing and and human rights violations and all of this stuff. Like, what, nine months out of the year? It's those three months where it looks like Manchester City are about to be crowned Premier League champions, are crowned Premier League champions, and then the summer afterwards where they are Premier League champions. Those are the only months where they ever show any ounce of interest in that or at least decide to write about it publicly. So you, fuck them. You, you bang on, mate, because when we were sat 10th, 11th in the table, there was nothing. And all of a sudden, like you say, we're back on top and here's the narrative to go at. It's just utter bullshit. Anyway, shall we move on to happier time? I don't care weekly injustice. Oh, you have you got one, one, mate? Go on then, fill yeah. your boots. Did you see Sean Dyche said uh, a pint and a packet of crisps was a tether in his local? <laughs> And that's either an injustice because his pub's making him pay that or he's a liar. So why are we letting Sean... Mine's way more important. Why are we letting Sean Dyche get away with that? In the conversation, he was talking about... It was about the value of Nick Pope as a keeper and what, what they'd sell him for if they had to sell him. And he said, at the moment, I'd take a packet of crisps and a pint in my local because that's like basically it's rarer than 
hen's teeth at the minute to be able to do. But the way he also framed it as saying, um, just to put it into context, there's a pub called the Royal Dice about two minutes from Burnley's ground, isn't there? Yeah. So what no, if he owns it? And he's just charging extra. Oh, he's thinking of wholesale prices. I guess. <laughs> Keg. <laughs> I was thinking it more likely that it came to about £5.25 and the bartender forgot to give him his change and rather than just address it, he decided to sulk in the corner and tell all of his mates that a pint <laughs> and a packet of crisps cost him a tenner. He's funding the Northern Economy, that's what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. What, what People's by the Sean Dyche. Right, so we've all done injustice this week. Cams is clearly the most important. Shall we crack on with uh, some match reviews? Uh, so we're glad back and then we had West Ham. Just touching on Gladbach quickly. 2-0 win. Bernardo Silva and Jesus with the goals. Cam, you wanted to talk about Pep. It, it was nice to see him prowl in the touchline. He was so furious, especially when Jesus missed that that one that was about six. I know he had the Elvedi on him, but that was about six or seven yards out and he, he just pulled a sterling and took one touch too many when he probably could have done something. Just Pep continually screaming at players who were just wasting the ball. Was, was nice to see because he has been a bit more reserved recently, especially because we've been winning. I think he's a bit... I know he know, I know he always says he doesn't care about records, he only cares about the next game, blah, blah, blah. But I think it, his demeanour on the sideline at the moment is showing, especially because in the last couple of games, we have been a bit wasteful, just showing that he's he wants this record to continue and that he's getting more and more annoyed when he can see that maybe we're struggling to score and throwing away these chances. So it's just nice to see the fire still in there, uh, even when we're having a bad game. Yeah, the coat came off and that's the that's the huge sign of like, it's like in wrestling when the strap comes down, <laughs> the straps on the leotard come down, you know, shit's about to happen. <laughs> Richard, what do you think um, some of the talking points from the club back game? Oh, City were obviously the better team, deserved to win. We kept up that press continuously. Honestly, the forward line was so, so good at just continuously putting their defence under pressure and just strangling the game out of them. Like It, it looked like at times Gladbach were willingly just giving the ball up because they were like, I can't folk, I can't do anything with David Silva, you know, like buzzing around me like this, get the fuck away. David um, Silva? You know, get a point on top of that? Yeah, right? That's a minus point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got David on the brain with um with him being the subject of the debate that's about to come up. No, the, the point that I was just going to bring up was despite being the best team, clearly, obviously, and despite, you know, 90 minutes of good performance, it almost all gets thrown away in, in injury time when Rodri does that ridiculous back pass. And I just think moments like that is emblematic of City in the Champions League. There are these sliding doors moments of if that ball, obviously it gets taken advantage of by Gladbach. I think Edison was good enough on the day that even when Rodri fucks up, I wasn't expecting them to score. But if he was able to pull off a worldie of a shot and get that in the back of the net, it's 2-1 going into the second leg. And a lot of that work that City have done there just becomes completely undone. And... You know, you can't obviously root out every single mistake that comes out of the game, but I think this just should be a warning sign to to the club and, you know, a, a bit of a down-to-earth moment for fans just to let us, let us know a reminder that, you know, we are still fallible despite everything and this kind of shit can proper cost you in the Champions League. It's fine margins, isn't it? I think you said about the forward line pressing so well. 
personally, I found the polar opposite for the West Ham game. Obviously, there's a lot of rotation by Pep. We did win. We mm-hmm. won 2-1. The Eyes and Stones with the goals and Antonio getting one back for the Hammers. How did you feel when City put out this uh, massively changed team? I saw somebody say it best. I think it was Stephen McInerney. It must have been the first time those three players played up front this season, at least. Mm-hmm. Or maybe ever, because Torres wasn't here last year. So I don't think those three would have played up front before now. And it, it was a big... I said in the last one, I, I was wary of West Ham more than I was, more than I would have been for any of the previous teams because they had a fourth team at the minute. And it, it just seemed, especially with the midfield, like Suchek and Rice who are doing really well, it seemed a bit naive to put those three out as a, as a front line when they've not, especially Aguero coming back, Torres rarely playing. And then suit and um sorry, what's the right back called? Uh, Kufal Sufal. He he had Torres in his pocket the whole game. He, he was dealing with Torres the whole game. And it, it maybe would have been better to play like it was Liverpool, play like it was one of the stronger teams. At least up front, where maybe we were lacking a bit, not experience, but lacking a bit of fitness, like lacking a bit of cohesion. Uh, it was a bit spooky to see uh, that those three were all starting together. The rotation wasn't actually that heavy. I think was it only about five players or something uh, from like game to game. But it, it was the players that it's exactly like you said. He did rotate. Like it was the players that were rotated in. So KDB coming back from an injury, rusty. Sergio Aguero not started a game in four months in the league, rusty. Torres, I can't remember the last time he actually started a game um, for City. Do you know, because he had COVID and then he was coming back and he's been used kind of as a substitute for a bit of rotation during a match, but not starting in, you know, without Bernardo Silva in the centre, providing all of that pace for the high press, we were always going to suffer with the with the three that he did bring in. So it just felt like throughout most of the game, we were relying on individual moments of brilliance from players rather than being that cohesive team unit that you've seen like over the last particularly over the last 10 games or so uh, you touched on like, Bernardo Bernardo was the the missing link like mm-hmm. and I think because of Gundogan because of um, De Bruyne coming back on us he, he's just gone under the radar for the last like two months Bernardo though we always talk about how great he is but you never really see it anywhere else uh, and, and we would definitely especially in a, such a physical midfield we would definitely missing Bernardo for that game he has a thankless task, doesn't he, of doing all the heavy lifting in that respect. You know, I, I know that like Foden also puts across that energy. But it's like you say, he is the missing link when he's not there. We said that the pressing wasn't in the West Ham game as others. Do you think that was partly down to the age of the team that was put out? Because I had a look and you got Fernandinho, Kevin, Serge, Mares, Walker. They're all, oh, I think Kev's 29, the rest are 30 plus. Like, when's the last time we fielded such an old side? I, I don't know if I'd put it down to the... I, I, again, I'd put it down to that forward line. It, it, it's just inexperience on one side. Mares has never been somebody to track back and press. Sergio's been out for so long. Whereas you, you put it to, against the uh, people that started against Gladbach. Um, you've got your Jesus who's run all across that front line. You've got your Bernardo. You've got your Phil Foden. Um, to an extent, you've even got Sterling who's tracking back better than he normally would. So I, I think it was less due to age and entirely just due down to that we changed the front line too much and it, it was just a mismatch of players. Yeah, I, th- I think the age thing there is a, a bit of a red herring. I mean, Fernandinho had an okay game. Walker definitely did. Um, and 
really the, the problem for me was you you start Mares on that side. There's no Bernardo, like I said about the rustiness of the other players. For me, it was Torres with like his youthfulness and exuberance. He needed to assist more than he did in that pressing. That just doesn't seem to be part of his game. You know, I don't want to go in two-footed on the ladder or anything, but I don't think he had a particularly good game. It was a good opportunity for him to proper stake a claim for being consistently in the starting eleven, And I don't think that he took it. Um, in fact, he sort of seems to get a bit disinterested on the 70-minute, it was like 65, 70-minute mark. And I wasn't too surprised when Pep took him off and brought Foden on. And I think once he did that and... Jesus came off for Aguero. That's when the the pressing started again. The pace was there again, and it looks a lot more like City were in with a shout of getting all three points. I think you got it bang on. What what a lot of their goal to do with Torres not going back, maybe as far as he should have done, and leaving Zinchenko on his own. From what I remember, he had a bit of a mixed bag. Yeah, there was the, he gave the ball away at one point, but he he occasionally did track back. But yeah, their their goal, you could make an argument that Pep likes to have his wingers stay up and high. So maybe it's not his responsibility to track all the way back into City's penalty area for that. But I'm not too sure he's directly at fault for that, but it would have been nice. Like, you've got to think that if Bernardo was there, that would have been the role that he took up there. He'll get beat into it. He's only been six months on it. He'll he'll learn the game like Sane did, like... um... Mares. Oh, Sane didn't. Oh, <laughs> um, Mares hasn't. <laughs> like Cancelo has then. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm not by, like I say, I'm not by any means disparaging him. It was just a bad game uh, against a right back who had his number. I tell you, my, my 18 month promise on a player getting good. Look for him halfway through next season. Tell you now. Some points riding on that. I think, to be fair as well, the lad's what, just turned 20. He's come to a new country. Like you say, it takes a while to get used to Pep's system and he probably did better than we expected initially, getting quite a few goals. Being played out of position as well and then we're expecting to come back in from the cold and pull in a similar type of performance to that of Sterling. Yeah, maybe his effort could have been higher, but I think it's far too early for anybody to start casting judgments on him. The way that we play now is hugely different to how we were playing when he was consistently getting started in the team. Mm -hmm. When Aguero and Jesus was out and he was playing in that forward line, it felt like a lot of the wingers were doing a lot of the work and he could just sort of come in, step in, tap the ball in or, or use his technical ability that he's clearly got an abundance on the ball to make something happen. And, you know, now that we've got those forward positions kind of, back on track with Jesus and Aguero being fit and him being back on the wing. Maybe the role, yeah, he, he just needs to sort of adapt a bit more to what's specifically required of him in, in the way that the team's set up now. Speaking of, of technical ability, I think you're dead on. Um, so much so I was watching the Leicester Arsenal highlights back and Leicester was punished, were punished so much in, you know, the tight spaces. Like mm-hmm. so much of Arsenal's play came through them just getting tight to a Leicester player and just passing it through him. So I think maybe that would be a better game to put him in because uh, he's got that technique to get around players and then the same sort of thing as Jesus, same sort of thing as Sterling where they, they want to get out of player. So that hopefully he starts against them and then maybe there's a, you can look at him better through that. Should we move on from uh, someone quite new to the team to uh, one of the main men, Big Kev? I saw a lot on Twitter during the game that 
he was frustrating people. And we said in the last podcast that he takes a while to get back up to speed. You know, he's been out for a while and often a little bit off to start with. And it was very much one of those games, wasn't it? And then he kind of pulled an amazing assist out of nowhere. How did you find Kev during the West Ham game? Yeah, you're fully right. There was a bit in the first half specifically where I think Torres was free on the left and he decided that he'd go for an outside foot through ball to Aguero. And it it got just cut out because it was too audacious. The easy ball was Torres for the cross or Torres for, you know, while people get into the box. So I think I don't know if we've said it on the pod. I know we've said it outside of it. He's, he's just always, especially when he's coming back and he feels like he's got to prove that he's back, he's going for that fancy pass yeah. that, that's yeah. unnecessary. And then it turns out halfway through the first half, it's entirely necessary. <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and, he, and he belts it yeah. four yards over the top. But sometimes he, he does just need to, to keep it calm and, and just build up. Like you say, his radar again, and then get it get it up and running properly. And I, I think that's why he was frustrating people yesterday. Yeah, sometimes he's like it's as if he's trying to paint like a masterpiece when really all he needs to do is colour inside the lines. <laughs> I was saying to you guys before we started that I did the player ratings for City Extra, and he ended up getting a seven. But in retrospect, it should have been a fair bit lower than that. Like he does have the obviously have those moments of individual brilliance, like he did for the the assist for the first goal, but some of the passing was uh, was very, very suspect at times. So he's off the pace a little bit now, but fingers crossed he'll get some more minutes against Wolves and then be sorted for the derby. Yeah, we've kind of laid into him a little bit there, but he did provide the assist for Diaz's goal, Diaz's first goal for City. I think he enjoyed that one, looking at his celebration. And that was quickly <laughs> um, celebrated with Stones, the uh, budding bromance and then likewise when Stone scored they're looking at each other like brothers aren't they uh, I did have well, they the were notes. both right there next to each other yeah, weren't yeah. they like both times that was yeah, my so. favourite it was, was the furthest two players forward from open play not even from a free kick <laughs> the furthest two players forward were the two centre-backs just wanted a goal at my game now he's watching Stones and Diaz after a clearance or a, or a tackle yeah, yeah. or whatever just High to get close to each other it's no accident that they were both like left up there after the corner was cleared. I think it's clear instructions that have been given by um, Guardiola, like stay high up the pitch. The opposition will get themselves back into formation to try and defend against the usual City team, like the midgets up front. When in fact, we've got these like six foot plus players in there now. So if you do get a cross right like De Bruyne did, it's perfect opportunity for one of them to get the red on it and put it in and exactly what happened. What a perfect header as well. Like, could it have been any better? Imagine what we'd be like with a, a target man, maybe a six foot four blonde Norwegian. I didn't know if you were going to go that way. Or, yeah, uh, the I thought you, yeah, I was, I was waiting. <laughs> uh, now, I'm not after losing it, any more points just yet, thanks. It was nice to see that you, debate. You keep, you keep seeing people say about Diaz's aerial ability, we've not really had the chance to see it, at least yeah. in an attacking sense. Even from a defensive sense, you don't see many headers in the box because people don't tend to play it over us because we've got such tall centre-backs but to see how precise that header was from such a difficult angle and a difficult ball was was very nice to see and I know for like the second goal it wasn't um it wasn't an aerial goal again but it was like a similar pattern of oh the ball's been up there the 
it's been cleared, but let's keep the defenders up there ready to get on. And he didn't have to get ahead on it, but just being the extra man in there to have that pass to was, you know, was enough to to bag on the second and see the match through. Quick start that I saw on Twitter. They've scored more goals than they've conceded, at least at home, I think. The Stones and Diaz have scored more goals than they've conceded as a pair. So. It's something Great. special, and it? it's something we've not seen in a long time to have such a solid partnership like that. Even back when we had, can well, you think of it? Such a solid set of that partnership we've had. There was a season when Osimhen was on fire, wasn't there? And then there was the Lescott company years. But even that, Lescott there was always was one that was better than miles the better than the yeah. other one. But they, they if do company was able to, if company was able to stay fit when Laporte came. Like we saw a bit of it towards the end mm. of that title winning season in 2019. But I think if company had been fit all that season, he might have been like the one that we lent on. And I reckon that that partnership would have been Immense. would have been brilliant. It's a shame that that got broken up. But, you know, here we are, finally. Best defence in all of world football. So we got there in the end. We won 2-1. What were your feelings at full time? For me, it was relief, to be honest, just to get it done with. Yeah, there, there was a reason I was wary of them really did themselves proud I thought especially impressive that I wasn't you know usually they pre- every, every team comes up and presses for the first 10-15 minutes and then just drops off and that's when we punish them but they were pressing most of the game uh, I just that's why when I did our predictions I, I was pretty certain they were going to score because they were just in such good form so it was definitely a, a case of relief uh, and maybe also a bit of worry uh, with a certain game coming up next weekend. Uh, but we'll see how that goes, I guess. Yeah, you, you are going to occasionally have bad games like this. But you know what they say is, if, as long if you can pick up the points from those bad games, then it's fucking A. Yeah, like you say, we got there in the end. Right, should we take a quick break and then come back with our weekly debate? You're listening to the Topical City Podcast disagree with anything you've heard don't forget to let the Etty lads know at topical city pod on twitter right we're back with the second part of this week's pod ready for my favorite time of the week the time where i usually rake in the points it is the weekly debate so we're going to have two debate questions where our guys have to pick a side to argue they might not necessarily believe in their side but it's about who argues outside the best and then I'll reside over like the almighty judge and dish out points if they perform well enough so the first question of the week is I can only have three city players in my Premier League fantasy football team so I'm going to apply that rule to the team of the year and it's safe to say that Stones and Diaz both make the cut already so there's one place left for a city player out of Gundogan and Cancelo Who's more deserving to make the team of the year this season? Who's arguing for which player? Uh, I'm going to take Cancelo. Okay. And that leaves me with a silky, ilky Gundogan. <laughs> right. Why do we call him Mr. Whippy and not a silk merchant? You'll have to ask uh, City content on Twitter that, mate. Should we start with you, Cam? No, I want to go second. You want to go second? Right, okay. <laughs> That's good. So you get to go first for the for the next one, which is... Uh, my preference as well. So yeah, I'm I'm willing to argue for very strongly for Ilkay Gundogan here, so I don't mind going first. I just think that similar to a player of the year, to get into like the team of the year, it's more based on narrative 
for each player and the stats that go along with them. And I think that while Cancelo has a good narrative that the commentators like to talk about with all of this, like, OMG, he's a fullback that's playing in midfield, dear God. I think that the the lack of defining a specific position for him might be a bit of a negative to, to go in the team. Like, he isn't really a fullback, is he? Whereas Gundogan's position in the side is very strong. His narrative's very strong. His stats are better than any season that he's had at City currently. And he's getting all of the goals in as well. And let's face it, when these people are deciding the team of the year, that's really what they're looking at is their goal contributions, whether that's assists or goals. But Ilkey's got a number of them already this year. So, yeah, 13 goals out of the... 29 games that he's played in the for the season so far for Manchester City. So I reckon that that's uh, that's all sold up for Gundogan. Cam, do you have a rebuttal? I do. Yeah, you're talking about narrative to fill the team of the year. If narrative was that important, there'd be no City players in it because everybody hates the absolute <laughs> shit out of us. That, so that is work. usually the case. <laughs> they'd work, exactly. So they'd, they'd work every single way they could to not put a City player in the team. So narrative can't be that important. Here's the thing. Usually that team's a 4-3-3. Again, if, you, if you're talking narrative, they're going to put in, they're going to put in Bruno Fernandes. They're going to put in maybe Kev, even though he was injured. Um, and then, I don't know, some random outside the top six centre mid that, that's having a decent... Grealish, probably Grealish might go in there, something like that. It's a packed area is the midfield in the team of the year. What's not packed is the right-back spot. Um, you you don't hear about many right-backs having a great season, especially in the top six. Well, Azpilicueta, no. Bellerin, no. Wan-Bissaka, no. Uh, Ricardo Pereira for Leicester, not really. Um, Cancelo is the standout in that position by a country mile. Can't really say you're going to base his where he plays based on what he plays on the field. He plays stars at right-back. Um, Alexander-Arnold doesn't really play right-back very well. He, he's mainly up, up the wing. He's a wing-back more than anything. Uh, and he got into the team last year. Um, it's it's Cancelo's to lose at the moment, especially because Gundogan wouldn't be on the run he's on without Cancelo backing him up. Uh, he's the reason Gundogan can get forward. He's the reason Gundogan can do what he does because Cancelo does come in field. And I think... People who picked the team of the year are going to have a hard time picking another right back that isn't Joao Cancelo. So you're saying Gundogan's only been in form because of the work Cancelo's been doing? I'm saying Gundogan, if Cancelo wasn't going where he was going on games, would still be sat next to Rodri pissing people off. Which isn't usually the right back position. No, but I knew you were going to say um, the thing about it being a 4-3-3. And so I've put in my notes here already that that's an assumption that you're making that it would be 4-3-3. But I don't think that... When has it not been? Well, if there wasn't a season for to do it, it would be this season. Because I don't think that there's that many forwards in the league that have been taking it by storm. Whereas you're right, that there are a lot of central midfielders who are, or just midfielders in general, that are really light in the league at the moment. You know, they're not going to do a 4-3-3 just so they can try and work Danny Ings in there, are they? Whereas what are they going to do then? For, no matter what They can do 4-4-2, other formations well, exist. Two mid, so there's less chance for Ilkay Gundogan to get in. It's going to be Bruno and probably 
De Bruyne or Grealish or something, there's less room for Gundogan to get in if you change the formation. No, I, I reckon that if you go for 4-4-2, that creates more than enough space for Gundogan to be in there. And like I said, this is if you were going to have a season outside of it being 4-3-3, it's this one. Right, I'll call it there, boys. That was interesting. I think it would take that turn. We're well, arguing about formations rather than well, <laughs> the players themselves and the, well, yeah. how they deserve to be in the Before team. Before we of the pick a winner, can we talk? Is, was a gal cliche hit? Because I'm so worried that I hit a gal cliche. There was. Oh, no. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if you argue against me on this, though. So you're both right in what you're saying. I think the stats do speak for Gundo. And I'd not really considered. The, the, the amount of competition that's going to sit in both sides. And when Cam brought up the fact that there isn't any other feasible right-backs, really, that we can think of, that that's that's a massive point. And I know you could argue that it would be a different formation, but I do agree that most times when they come to do this, they're not creative enough to do that. Often they'll, they'll wedge in a centre-back at left-back or something if they need to. They'll still keep to that similar formation. Um, so I think the lack of alternatives at right back has probably swung this for Cancelo. Um, I lost the point as well. Though. So I'll give a point to Cam for that one. No. The Gael cliche was any mention of Mr. Whippy. Did so I just gone to win at all. <laughs> no, the words Mr. As Whippy. I right, okay. I will say I mentioned it before the debate started. Am I going to lose a point for that? <laughs> and I didn't call him Mr. Whippy. I was upset that he was called Mr. Whippy. I heard the words Mr. Whippy and the little red light came on in my head. I'm going to have to argue this because the debate hadn't even started here. <laughs> Why is the penalty always for the player that I'll be talking about? <laughs> Every single time we do these well, debates, fair, even, the, the guy or cliche is literally go through the Richards phrase book and pick out a word <laughs> that you think he's going to say and try and take points off of the fucker. It's my four points clear, pal. Yeah, that's it. It's tactical. It's genuine. I, I thought you could use Mr. Whippy in, in both arguments, whether you were just kind of trying to knock him down a peg. And I thought both of you could potentially say it. Did Cam say Mr. Whippy during the debate? No. Like once the bell was rang, or was it prior yeah. to the bell? You, being you're going to get me for swiping a punch at dogs before the bell even rings. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I think if this was the other way around, I'd get penalised for saying it before it started, but I think I'm a gentleman. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> I can't decide whether. I don't think you're a gentleman, but I would have ruled in. Uh, I would have ruled in Cameron's favour there. I don't. I don't <laughs> think. I think once the once the bell rings, and I'll have to insert uh, a bell ringing now. I've mentioned it that many times, but once that's happened, if if you say it then, then that's fine. But you realise you could have edited that bell in at any point, so that he could have said it. <laughs> After the bell rang. <laughs> now, to be I honest, I can also edit him just saying Mr. Whippy yeah. like five <laughs> yeah, times in a row point. and deduct him a point each time. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I wasn't going to stick to that. I just wanted to shit you up a little bit. Yeah, no, you, you did, did say you did say it before the bell, um, but that was a close one. I, I don't know if you saw my eyes light up when you said it. No, <laughs> <laughs> I try to right. look away uh, whenever I'm doing a debate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So we'll move on to the second question. Now, have I picked something that's going to go in? Uh, in Richard's wheelhouse again, is it something that Richard's going to say that's uh, going to trip him up? Of Who knows? Have. Let's decide. Why even ask? <laughs> right. So, this is our legends debate. And I want to know who's had the biggest impact on City's success over the last 10 years. 
Is it Yaya Torre or David Silva? Who's Two arguing of the game? Who's arguing for which side, boys? Anyone? Cam- well, Cameron's going first, and he's arguing oh, for oh, David yeah. Silva. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You are, mate. You are. Sorry, <laughs> I honestly second. forgot. It was it was genuine. A genuine <laughs> forget. Uh, that's fine. And I'll be uh, I'll be arguing for the Ivorian coaster, Yaya Torre. <laughs> I know I, what I want to. Has the bell gone? Can yeah, you hear? Ding, a bell? ding, 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 ding. Let's okay. get going, Cam. Um, I know what I want to say, but I, I am almost certain it'll be a, a, a cliche, so I won't say it. Say but, it, mate. Say um, it. I don't know how this is a debate. We all like Yaya Torre. We all like. We all know that he gets a lot of flack that he probably shouldn't get, and his contributions can be largely forgotten. But this is David Silver, man. Like this, this is the player that gets compared to Colin Bell as being up there in terms of playing stuff like. I, I don't know how you could ever compare the two. Um, he, yeah, yeah, I had one good season, one incredible season, I should say. But but that oh, was it. The, re- the rest of the time he was good. But he, he's never been on the level of of constant ten years of David Silver. Um, so I honestly, I think yours is the football hipster opinion in this uh, case, Richard. So I think I think you're gonna. Get some football hits. Mate, I've, positive, but I, I I've just, got the beard and the Hawaiian shirt. I'm willing to take that role on. I, I'm, I'm interested. I think I know one thing you'll say. I'm interested to see what you'll, how you'll just go against the sheer body of work and sheer importance. Yeah, well, don't make my argument for me then. Leave me to do that. You you concentrate on David Silva since you're going first. Well, I've, I'm concentrating on him. I'm finished with my opening statement. Why don't you tell me about Yaya Torre? Were well, you saying that you don't know how you can argue it? The, the question is right there. It's who's had the biggest impact on Manchester City over the last 10 years. And for me, that's Yaya because of the sheer number of goals that he scored in big games that have dragged Manchester City to trophies. That's how you judge success is on trophies. And Yaya Torres undoubtedly for me had the biggest impact there. You know, you all you've got to do is look up and down his um, his resume when it comes to that. In the FA Cup win in 2011, you've got the goal versus United in the semi-final to get us to the final. And then you've got the goal in the final versus Stoke to win us the thing. League Cup 2014 versus Sunderland. First goal is Jaya Torre. League Cup final 2016. Who scores the win in penalty? Bam. It's Yuman Yaya. Every single time he's up there when it matters, when City need a player to help drag them over the line to get it. And you're saying he had, what, one good season? Well, that season being the 13-14 season, is that the one that you meant? Yes, yes, yes. So that one good season that he supposedly had there, that's the one that ties up together for me, the decade of success that Manchester City have had. Because without that, it's the one-man team. It's the one Mancini title winning season. And then it's five years of nothing except for a few League Cup trophies. That season is what ties it all in. Why City are going to be like have dominated that decade. Without that one, it just flits by. The emotions mean nothing because there's no Premier League title there. I know Gerard got the assist for that season by falling over, but it's Yaya Torre's goals in big games against Aston Villa, against Newcastle against Crystal Palace that really dragged City over the line there and won us the title on the last day of the season. So without him in that season, and obviously the impact that he's had in all of the other teams, Mancini's team, uh, Pellegrini's team, but even Guardiola's team 
in that 16-17 season, he had to rely on Uncle Yaya, as they called him, to help get us those Champions League spots towards the end of it. So, yeah, for me, it's Yaya Torre has had what the question asked, and that's the biggest impact on Manchester City over the last 10 years. Right, cracking me knuckles now. So, uh, that League Cup, he scored the semi-final goals and the final goal. Correct, you're right. He won us a trophy. You then mentioned mentioned Yaya scored the first goal in in a game. Doesn't always win you a game. Uh, So, I'd count that as a game-winning goal. Um, You mentioned... Did did, did David Silva score in those games to to win us the match? David Silva turned us... is the heartbeat of our team for 10 years. David Silva... Uh, again, you want to bring up he won as a Premier League title winning season. That season where he shaved his hair off, did a reverse Samson and suddenly turned into the best player in the league. We wouldn't have gone on that winning run if he hadn't have just turned up week in, week out on a constant basis. You, you keep mentioning Yaya's won as all these trophies. He scored a couple of goals. He, he definitely won as that one trophy that you said, 100%. He definitely won Oh, dear. But he, he scored a goal here or there. There's no reason to say that somebody else wouldn't have scored that goal if we'd signed them. There's no reason to say... The goal against scored, Newcastle where he takes the ball up from finish, the middle sir. of the please pitch all the way up to goal. All the way up to the goal. Unbelievable. I am speaking. Um, <laughs> the integrity of the podcast is at stake with this fucking dribble. <laughs> I have no... I will give you that, League Cup. But there, there's, there's plenty of... Re- he scored the first goal in a game that's not winning you a game. He scored... A goal against Villa—that's not winning you a title. Consistency and and professionalism. We play our academy is set up to produce David Silvers. It's not set up to produce Yaya Torres. We, we produce people who play like David Silver. People who are pet players. We have built a whole ethos of an academy on playing in the tight spaces, one-two triangle passes. We haven't played. We haven't built an academy on running deep from midfield to score screamers. We we know that our best player and the person who has had an in- impact, not just on trophies, but he did have impact on trophies. But the entire club ethos is David Silva. It's not Yaya Torre. We're not the Yaya. James, Torre. I've just got two points to make, and and then we can call it a day if that's okay, pal. I was, I was just enjoying this, so fill your boots. <laughs> so. Right, okay. The question is, who's had the biggest impact on Manchester City's success? I think if you were making the point, which is clear that you are, that David Silva's probably had the biggest impact on Manchester City's playing style and identity, I would go along with that. But that isn't the question. You're doing taking the creative license thing here and applying your own perception to the question when you're not sticking within the boundaries. It's the impact on the success goals and trophies are how you determine the success and that's what Yaya Torre has done and when you talk about some of the flack's undeserved actually a lot of the flack that Yaya Torre got has been deserved but that's what Manchester City fans love is that counterculture the controversy otherwise we'd be Manchester United fans if you wanted to play it safe when you grow up in Manchester you choose Manchester United if you want the counterculture and you want the warts and all you go for Manchester City and your option presents the safe option to me, the dependability and the professionalism of David Silva. But Yaya Torre brought more than that. It's why people still love Mancini and Balotelli and Tevez, despite the fact of what they had at the football club. Yaya Torre is the one for me. I need to address something before you add this, Jeff. Come on, one more um, minute. What, what you said about... 
I've gone by that. Your, your first point was just um, goals get you trophies, uh, wins get you trophies. And that I'm talking about playing style, not success. The style that we play is the reason for our success. We aren't successful because Yaya Torre scores goal. We're successful because of the way that we play. We're successful because we play in the half spaces. We we press, we do all this. We do the David Silva way of playing. Yeah, yeah, sorry. He, he won us well. trophies in 11 12. He won us trophies in 17 18. He won us trophies in 18 19. And there's a reason he was much more missed than Yaya when he was gone because he is the epitome of our success and our style and the way we play. Yaya is an important player. And, and I, I said at the beginning, I'm happy to say that he gets more stick than he should because of the cake thing and because he had a couple of bad seasons towards the end. But David Silva is Manchester City success. Right, I'm calling it there, boys. It's a good debate, pal. Yeah, that was a yeah, good Yeah, yeah, I like that one. Feisty. Cam, you're going to wish that. you didn't have uh, one last say there, mate. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll get that out of the way. Why did you mention the birthday cake, mate? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I should have known. See, I fucking knew that was scared oh. up and towards me and stuff. <laughs> There's God the girl cliche. Any mention of the dreaded birthday cake? Sorry, mate. You're lucky, Richard, because I nearly put Uncle Yaya in there and you said that. So that was very close. Right, in terms of who wins the debate, right, I'm purely judging this on the debate and not what I actually believe, but I'm afraid Richard wins that one because I feel that... Richard gave me examples of why Yaya was important and he gave me examples of what he did to equal that success. Whereas Cam, you spent half your time generalizing why David was good without giving me many specifics. And also the fact that you said we're built an academy around David Silver type players. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think we've built it around technically gifted players that you could argue would be more influenced by the likes of Pep or the old Barca model when we brought Cheeky and Soriano in. So that's just my my two pence on that one. So yeah, Richard wins the debate on that, I'm afraid to say. Your two pence is not Fuck me. Cam, you won the first one, didn't you? Yeah, and then lost it straight away. <laughs> so Cam ends up on minus one in total there because How's he... That? She's on zero. Ah, right. Okay. Okay. Sorry, go. I'm just trying to get. I'm just trying to. Mr. Seven more points. points. Trying to try to <laughs> remove more points. Mate, do Manchester City stop playing like after winning 20 games in a row? No, they go for 21. <laughs> okay. Quick break, and then we're back with our Wolves preview. We may be fans of the best team in the land and all the world, but sometimes life isn't always great for everyone. You can make life a little bit better for someone else by donating to your local food bank. Visit MCFC Food Bank on Twitter for more information and for their GoFundMe link. Hello, welcome back to part three of this week's podcast. We're now going to have a look at a Wolves preview. And then have a look at our predicted 11s, who we're expecting to score, etc. So looking at Wolves, they're unbeaten in five in the league. They picked up points against some big boys recently, the likes of Leeds, Arsenal, Leicester and a struggling Southampton before they drew at Newcastle this weekend. 
I'm kind of surprised looking at those results. I kind of thought Wolves were struggling a bit more than that. What are your thoughts on Wolves this season, Richard? Yeah, in my notes here, I've got boring as fuck is my uh, main point to make on it. They're just a, Nuno's just a relevant Mourinho, really, isn't he? <laughs> I always think that I like Wolves and, you know, because they came up for the championship, they had a really good first season and it looks like they were going to like upset the apple cart a little bit. But when you watch them, they just, it's just dross. They, they're not interesting at all. And yeah, I, I was really surprised. Like in the form table at the minute, are they in fourth place from the last six games? They've picked up some some decent results, and and I didn't expect that because I yeah I thought they were having a pretty bang average season as well. I mean the league table doesn't lie, but it looks like they're finally on a decent good upturn just in time to play City. What do you think, Tom? You thinking the same? I'm still mad about the debate. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I didn't look into it that that much and it is actually surprising the are because usually when Wolves are doing well you hear about it like you hear about how Jimenez is the best striker outside of top six you hear about how great Ruben Neves is so the fact that they are doing well uh, is a bit shocking to me and, and I might have altered my lineup based on that but I'll stick to what I'm going for to be fair yeah. man, Jimenez has been injured for a while hasn't he he's only just come oh, back maybe that's it. well then I'm, I'm not changing it at all because I'm not worried about the other um, forwards that they've got. They're very much a midfield team for me. Um, I don't think you've got to worry about anything at the back. I don't think without Jimenez you've got to worry about anything going forward. Um, They're very much the uh, Portuguese national side, really. <laughs> I saw a thing. They, they've had... I can't remember. It was either 16 or 18 Portuguese players since he took over. And that's got to be still got the best record, three in the league, haven't we? But other than... Yeah. Other than, obviously, English players... Playing at an English club, it's got to be a record right, for just one nation at a club. Yeah, like, reminds me a lot of remember when Arsenal were just like the French national side. I was just going to say that. Mate. Just going to say that. Even they didn't have eighteen French players. In- I bet it wasn't so far off, you know. Maybe I'm, I'm maybe struggling it was to remember bit... anybody other than Viltord and Henri and Sanya, yeah, Sanya. Cliche, Nasri. Nasri. Yeah, okay. I still don't think it's going to reach that amount. Vieira. That's an insane amount of players. In one <laughs> uh, I'm annoyed that the, the pun that the news has decided to go with is Portugal. For God's sake. No. That's a howler. If you get what I mean. <laughs> uh, right, so so I'm just going to say minus point there. Do you agree, Cam? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Minus one for Richards. <laughs> no, Lock I don't it. really. I don't. Lock it in. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, if we're going to, um, if we're going to start doing it. minus points, <laughs> minus points for puns, I think that, that you're really yeah, going to no, put it's Cameron a, over it's in a the long precedent. term. There, yeah. It's a bad precedent <laughs> to set. No, thank you. <laughs> hey, listen. If I got away with that intro, it's fair game. Um, right. Let's move on to our predicted 11s. So we're not that different, to be fair. I'll start with mine and then we'll talk about the, the points of difference. So I'm starting with um, Edison in net, back four of Cancelo, Diaz, Stones, Inchenko, Rodri, Bernardo and Kev in the middle with Sterling, Aguero and Foden up top. I was shocked at how similar ours are, Jim. Yeah, so where... I, I know you sent yours first, but I promise you I went away and thought about it and we still come up with a very similar team, which based on your predictive abilities is probably better. <laughs> yeah, you're in trouble, Evan. <laughs> Um, but it, it did shock me. The only difference, I think, is um, you've gone Stones, I've gone Laporte. Yeah, and, and I hovered over Laporte for a long time, whether that be at left-back or centre-back. And I kind of just settled on the fact that 
you know, after Diaz and Stones playing that well this weekend, can you arguably drop them? And there's five days rest, I think, before the United game. So there's plenty of time for recovery. I just couldn't make an argument to change it unless he brings a port in for Zinchenko. But even that, I don't think he feels that comfortable with. And then, Richard, your only two differences were Gundo and Jesus instead of Aguero and Kev. So you're not starting Kev, are you? In the back line as well, actually. I think we've all gone for different back threes again. Oh, I've yeah. gone for Stones right. and Laporte. Yeah, yeah. You're right. And that's just because I think even though there is quite a bit of time between the Wolves and United game, the time that we've had quickly between being in Europe, Premier League and then Premier League again, I think Ruben's started a lot of games lately. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if he got rested. The only issue that in my side for back four, I've got Cancelo, Stones, Laporte, Zinchenko. I'm not sure that Laporte and Zinchenko have started a game together. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. But it's usually just been like one left-footed player on the pitch there for like the last couple of months, hasn't it? So I probably, uh, I've probably fucked that up. But yeah, you uh, Gundogan instead of KDB. I just think he want KDB to be fit for the United game, and I don't want to do many spoilers for my predicted lineup there. But I think he's going to be pretty integral to the forward line for that one. So yeah, Gundogan instead of KDB and Jesus instead of Aguero. I would have disagreed. You say KDB to be rested for the United game. I would say the exact opposite, just based off yesterday. Maybe he needs more minutes before the United game to, like we say, get the radar back on track. That's why I went for him instead of Gundogan. Same. And I just, again, I think we all went for Badado just because he missed out last time. So Don't get me wrong. I think KDB will get minutes um, just with him doing the whole 90 against West Ham. I know KDB likes to to play a lot, doesn't he? But he likes to be the talisman for the team and everything. But I'm just not too sure. I guess we'll see, won't we? I saw an interesting thing this week that um, Diaz has played the most minutes of any outfield player for Pep this season. And that's that's impressive because he came after the season had started. Oh, yeah. Which I think everyone sort of... Oh, yeah. Um, So that says a lot (laughs) about how he trusts him, I think. But yeah, so there we go. There's the lineups. We're fairly similar. Richard's got a few changes in there. So I'm either taking Cam down with me or Richard's going to lose some points this week, hopefully. And then on to our predicted score. Cam, you've gone for 3-0 with De Bruyne scoring. Yep. And myself and Richard have both gone for 2-0. I've picked Bernardo and Richard's picked Foden. So do you know what? We we just don't expect goals against us, do we, nowadays? Like I said, I'm not. If Jimenez isn't fit, I'm really not afraid of that forward line. Of they got rid of Jota. They've got Daniel Podens. Neto, Neto is their, uh, Tri- oh, is their Tri- inform oh, guy at the moment. <laughs> They've got that Fabio Silva. Is it, is it Fabio Silva, the young lad? He's not He's not really yeah. pulling up any trees, though. But it's Ruben Neves who's been scoring the goals recently for them. Well, the, the worrying thing is um, Adama Traore is absolute wank most of the year and then he turns up <laughs> in City and absolutely... Destroys us, so I didn't think. That's that. Wolves, though, in it. They're always they're always a bit of a difficult game for City. I, I was tempted to go for a lot more, just because you expect them to sit deep, and I think that City have just finally figured out a way to get around that low block. Now, I think that they'll just make it as difficult and boring as possible. If, if fucking fans are complaining about how boring City games are at the minute, they want to have a word with every team that comes against us and plays yeah. a low block of ten men. If I'd have thought about Adama, I don't think I would have put the ball in. It's done now. But Has he been playing that much, though? 
I mean, like I say, you don't hear about him, and it's probably because he's wank whenever he plays against anybody else. But oh, all right, no, I'll stick with what I've got. But, but that is locked in now, mate. Clappers on me a little bit. <laughs> it's interesting that it would have brought up a good conversation about whether or not you're once it's is it locked in as soon as it's been mentioned or before the end of the pod? Can you change things up a little bit? I think no. it's locked in when it's submitted, which is before the pod because it's got to go on the agenda. Fair news. He's spoken. I need to uh, stop abusing this power that I have for another two minutes because I'm not going to get it for a couple of weeks now. Um, <laughs> just remember how absolutely fair I've been to both of you this week before you screw me over next week. Probably just worth saying before we uh, before we move on, the reason we're not talking about the United epi- uh, United game. Yeah, so we're going to focus on doing like a, a specific United podcast closer to the match and um, probably late this week. We'll just have a look at how we see it going, you know, maybe look back on some good derby memories and are we, are we saying that's the title in the bag? No. <laughs> I, I still think once we, Leicester, and now I'm, I'm willing to admit, like I haven't been on previous pods and I've kind of bigged them up a little bit, but I think I'm willing to admit they're not a threat to the title. If we beat United and get three points over them, I'm willing to have that fireworks display finally now and call it a day. So what, it, with that draw, they're on 50 points, right? Yeah, 12 offers. 12 points. I think the swing of us losing that amount of games and then winning those games is too much. I, I'm going to I'm gonna put it out there and say it's done. Oof. If we do beat United, it'll be... We'll only need to win six more games. And we've Let's lost, put a timestamp on that, James, because you, if, if you're calling it now, we don't win the title, you're getting all of the blame. For us, for City, not win the title, and I think you've just got to be deducted a record amount of points. Hey, minus numbers are minus number, um, so <laughs> fuck it, why not? Um, but at the same time, I'm choosing to put my neck on the line, so I want a reward for it when it happens. Oh, come on, it's not that. Oh, you will, you're willing to put, you're willing, to, you're willing to punish it. Put your neck on the line. If I it, think. Well, we're doing odds bad. then. Whatever the odds are on City winning the title right now. If you're right, you'll get that many points from it. So say it's like one to 500 chance <laughs> you get one 500th of a point. Fuck's <laughs> but if you don't, <laughs> you get deducted 500 points. So let's just have a quick look back at that debate score. I'm going to um, reassess my decision, Cameron. Two <laughs> points to you, plus a bonus point for winning both. There we go. Update that the gavel's already been banged on that. <laughs> it's over. I gavel about, about these point wages that keep coming up. You know, they're very safe point wages um, that I'm hearing it. And I won't want to use to, at least for the derby, to come up with something outrageous to bet some points against. Preferably Richard, because uh, <laughs> so far out. But, but I, I would have made some big bets for that United game. There's your challenge, Richard. Because I've, I've attempted yeah, two yeah. now, so I think Richard, with all his spare points, needs to uh, come up with a decent wager there. This could backfire oh, massively, Cal. It, yeah. it could be in double figures. Right, okay, so let's leave it there. I had a cracking debate, looked over the past couple of games, we previewed Wolves, and we'll be back in a couple of days to chat through how we feel about United, as I've said. Do you want to know, forward to it? Want it already. Do you want to know how the table looks at the end of the episode? Go on, mate, you fill us in on that. Uh, so uh, Richard's on eight, 
uh, I am still stuck in the mud on three. And that's all we've got time for this week. So uh, we'll see you again <laughs> when we're chatting about United in a couple of days. Don't you yeah, 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 it's all right. <laughs>